Hi again, welcome back to the podcast, episode 169 today. Adrian here from Southeast, and Renault is with me. Yeah, how are you doing? Good, still in China. And whoever was listening to last week's podcast will have heard us speaking about some of the changes that you'll probably see in China if you're going to be visiting soon, as many people are. And, and actually, some of our customers have been coming to the office, uh, the Southeast office, and to Agilian probably for, it's got to be six months now, hasn't it? Yeah, a few of them started to, have, a couple of them had business visas end of last year, actually. Yeah. It was possible, yeah. but they had to go through quarantine and everything. And then after that, yeah, from the start of the change of policy, then, you know, still visas were very rare. And also there were not mm. that many um, flights. But mm. then... Um, from let's say after Chinese New Year, yeah, we started to see more and more customers come through, yeah. But we still people are still used to doing, you know, Zoom calls or team calls and things like that much more than before. Yeah. So we're still doing many more of those than in 2018, 2019, including for hey, you want to visit the factory, hey, you want to do a, a visit of the lab, you want to do a visit of the, the assembly lines, you know. Let's uh, set it up, you know. Ooh. So there's, there's much more of that than before. People are kind of used to it much more. But yeah, I mean, when you look at the flights, you look at the visa situation, especially for in certain countries, including the US, by the way, um, you know, things are not as fluid and as easy as before, right? It's not, Ooh. it's not, uh, yeah, we're not at that level yet. But I would, I would say from my experience, it's not too bad. I think uh, it's a lot more accessible than it was. Of course. If you want to come, you come. Yeah, 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 yeah right. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I, I think the business visa situation, you'll notice if you're going to apply for a Chinese business visa, there's a huge document to fill out now. I don't, I don't didn't yeah. count the pages. Was right. it something like 30 pages or something? <laughs> I forgot, but it's it goes into insane details, including personal yeah. details and things like that. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of a new barrier for entry. But look, if you can sort of smash through that and uh, and get on a flight, I think, well, from my point of view, you won't be disappointed. So that was it. that was last week anyway. A bit of a recap there. Uh, definitely worth listening to if you are coming to China soon. But today, Renault, we are speaking about responsible and sustainable purchasing. And the two, they're not the same, but one kind of follows on into the next as you're going to mm. explain so shall we start by talking about responsible purchasing yeah right 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 so there's a lot of focus on hey these suppliers are causing us trouble these suppliers are not compliant these suppliers are doing things behind our backs they don't tell us and so on and so forth but mm. um, you know it's always better to start sweeping in front of your own door rather than, you know, first going to complain to suppliers and require them to do a lot of things, right? And the idea with responsible purchasing is that you you are the organization that, you know, picks the suppliers, issues, you know, does the approvals of the, the, the new products and so on, maybe designs them, Um you, you you issue the purchase orders and you do the payments and all these kind of things. Okay. You can do a lot of things to hurt your suppliers. Okay. And you can do a lot of things to prevent your suppliers from 
being able to actually comply to you know to your requirements or maybe just to to, to treat their 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 employees in a human way and you know to be able to to make everything in their own four walls rather than subcontracting so that that's Whoa. that's the idea about responsible purchasing and responsible purchasing practices is a term that people are using more and more Mm. For example, I'm going to read something and then we can comment on it and uh, talk about yeah. some examples. But uh, you, you heard of uh, Patagonia, right? Uh, oh, yeah. Pa- Patagucci. <laughs> Very expensive yeah. uh, gear, sport gear. Okay. Uh, nice products and a nice brand. Mm. And um, yeah, basically all the profits will go in like causes for the envir- environmental preservation and so on. Still... Like their clothing is is made mostly in in uh, in low cost Asian countries and so on and so forth. So, how do they square that, right? Mm. Uh, talking uh, talking a lot with a big mouth and at the same time, eh, working with a lot of the same suppliers as 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 their competition. Okay, so someone who was the the VP of social and environmental responsibility at Patagonia, uh, I'm going to quote what she wrote. We can send a link to to the website uh, later. It's a short quote. She says, I strongly suspect that brands that have responsible purchasing practices programs have the highest rate of compliant factories. The RPP program is one that ensures that brand business decisions do not put the factory at risk of being out of compliance with their code of conduct and local laws. Okay, for example, a last-minute change to a design can directly cause excessive work hours and mandatory overtime, a form of forced labor, okay, for workers to ensure the order gets done on time. That's right. Without a solid RPP program, important root causes at the brand level can be missed, leaving you and the factory frustrated with the same issue coming up over and over again. That's right. There's a lot of, of ways the way the, uh, the the purchasing organization works, you know, and behaves, and 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 the link it has on on the supplier. Okay, so for oh. example, yeah, here they say a last minute change to a design can cause you know a lot of excessive work hours, etc. Yeah, the buyer says at the last minute, oh sorry, I need to make this change, and then like all the approvals are pushed back. And, but then they say, oh, sorry, you still have to ship, you know, by 25 July. Like, there's no way we can push that back. Otherwise, we're in deep trouble, right? Uh, like, that's the only way. Sorry. Or like, latest, latest end of the window is, okay, like uh, 30 July. And that's it. Out of that, mm. it's no poss- not possible anymore. Okay, that that's the reality. Because the retailers, they say, okay, there's a window and that's it, right? So, in that case, well, the... As I say, the approvals get done later, so there's less time for production, <laughs> right? Mm. So in that case, what happens? Well, either they're going to put more resources. So usually, especially if it's in high season of the factory, they will try not to hire even more people, right? But they will say, okay, like, sorry, guys, like, you know, we have to, uh, we're going to have to work seven days a week, we're gonna, you know, 14 days mm. an hour, uh, 14 hours a day. You know, we we got to just make it like, uh, sorry, guys, you know, put a lot of pressure on the production. And then what happens is that it's not uh, legal. And uh, also it, it 
you know, they don't comply, certainly don't comply with the retailer's social compliance uh, code of conduct, right? But who caused that? Yeah. The buyer, right? So who's who's responsible and accountable for that in my eyes? The buyer, right? Now, another, uh, okay, the same idea, and this this has been a problem with Walmart for, um, yeah, as long as I can remember, Walmart will say, okay, we're going to buy whatever, 100,000 pieces of that style, Okay, uh, let's say, again, garments. Um, but it's the same in toys, it's the same in a lot of other things, right? So they say, okay, we're going to buy 100,000 pieces of this, whatever, this top, uh, this garment. And and that's the date. And then before that, they kind of ask, okay, you need to have a, um, a production, like a capacity plan, et cetera, et cetera. You need to show us that you can actually make it in the factory. Okay, because they, they really don't want subcontract uh, work, right? Unauthorized subcontracting. Then the products, mm. their labels can be made in factories they have not audited. There can be all kinds of problems. Can be a factory that burns down in Bangladesh. Can be a factory with, you know, some kids. Uh, okay, whatever. So they don't want subcontracting. So they try to cover themselves. They say, okay, we want you to, to give us a capacity plan. We're going to review it. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Um, you know, if it's purchased through an importer, then the importer must have someone in the country who goes to check production and see what happens and so on and so forth. Okay, so that's the situation. But Walmart, on the other hand, they don't change, you know, if an approval, oh, the color is not exactly right or something, they'll just reject and then oh, you know, the, the, the manufacturer will scramble to to submit something again and again and say that it's, it's accepted. And this, oh. In the cases I have seen anyway, there's no link to oh, wait a minute, they don't have a capacity to, to do it all before shipment now, <laughs> right? Uh, mm-hmm. They don't care, right? So they kind of cover their ass, but at the end of the day, they don't care. And the window for delivery is not pushed back, you know, in most cases. So they're kind of forcing the suppliers to to put a lot of pressure on production to go as fast as possible and to to subcontract to to a certain you know in in a certain um to, to a certain degree right and there's a lot of that mm. i'm talking about walmart because it's the biggest one but there's so many so many other companies that do that right i don't want to pick just on walmart it's just very visible sure. because they're huge um yeah and they, they they have all forms of problems but that's an example okay now an example in in, in toys well, toys is extremely seasonal, right? There's a lot of toys are sold, let's say, November and December, okay? Yeah. And that might be more, 60%, 70% of the business for, for certain brands, certain kinds of toys. So a lot of toy factories are very busy from May to August, September, okay? So it's it's very seasonal. And... This very seasonal factor in in itself is a big problem for the manufacturers. You know, mm. you can bother them with cons of conduct and, oh, you need to limit whatever the working hours and you need to do this and you need to do that, right? But then you, you dump these orders on them and basically you don't care uh, that, you know, in in uh, in March they're not very busy. In December they're not very busy, but you you dump everything on them, so they're very busy in in, in June and July. There are some brands 
that you know usually more upscale brand with a with a bit more margin and so on again at a certain level so they, they manage their cash and they give they level it they level the amount of production all year long now it's a small minority but it's very nice to see that right yeah. then in that case the brand will go to the factory and say okay guys you have no excuse you know you're going to do this with icti okay is the kind of program for social, social compliance for toys is very common in toy industry uh it's going to be unannounced audits you, you know etc cetera, etc cetera. okay you have no excuse <laughs> right cool. and they can push their suppliers much harder than than other toy manufacturers because the other toy manufacturers well factory is going to say yeah you you really want your 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 you know your container to be shipped out you know in uh, by by September so it gets on the shelves uh, you know the first week after after Thanksgiving or, or whatever well you know you and and you don't want to pay more so how do we do you know mm. <laughs> all of this is really induced by the buyer uh, you might say it's induced by the market but I would say it's it's induced by the buyer because they don't level the production orders. And maybe it's very seasonal. Of course, if you have products that you know you will still uh, sell easily six or 12 months later, because these are kind of uh, forever green kind of products, of course, it's much easier to do, right? Uh, again, it's not possible for every company. But this this is an example, okay? Now, it's not just about the working hours and days off and things like that, okay? There's squeezing the price too much without taking into account the costs of making the products and complying right so yeah if if you buy again in apparel you you buy products and you uh, you want it to be you want the, the 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 yarn to be dyed very fast and you you put a lot of pressure on pricing and everything they would try to put it in in these um uh these 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 meals that um that that do it you know somewhere hidden in the hills uh yeah. without any any water treatment facility and so on there's less of less of that in china obviously it's they're getting kicked out uh, and closed but yeah. that is the some of that in some other countries for sure right this is just an example right i mean th- there's a lot to say also about responsible design practices right so if you design garments that are in very dark let's say black then there's many more dyes that are much more uh, damaging to the environment that have to be used, right? That's an example. Mm. Well, if you use yeah. um, aluminum rather than steel, well, it's six times more carbon emissions, right? And Because uh, it's much more energy intensive, et cetera, et cetera, right? So mm. well, actually, we talked about that a few episodes ago about the eco-design mm. principles, right? Eco-design principles is really about, yeah, how can designers have responsible you know practices uh when it comes to environmental protection right that's really what it is and today yeah. we're talking about purchasing right so when you work on certain kinds of materials that have to go through certain processes you have safety considerations that also come into play that cannot be worked around right etc 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 so basically if you just issue purchase orders and you don't care about what's going on on the production side 
and on the shipment side and everything, then you can't go back to the supply and say, well, this is a, you know, we have a tight code of conduct. You have to sign and blah, blah, blah. You, you have to comply with local law. You have to do this. You have to do that, right? Supplier is going to have to cheat, basically, to say, okay, that's fine. Uh, here it is, right? Here's the paper, right? So that's that's responsible purchasing, okay? And there's a lot of things to talk about, but you can Google responsible purchasing practices and find more of that. Now, there's also the the, the level above that that you mentioned is sustainable purchasing. There is yeah. actually an ISO standard uh, about sustainable procurement, as they call it. Uh, it's ISO mm. 20,400. Uh, 20, and it kind of builds on ISO 26,000, which is about what they call social responsibility, but also includes environmental production, uh, protection and, and things like that. It's very wide. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it, it goes a bit further than 26,000. It really focuses just on what procurement organization can do to actually allow for for more sustainability. Right. So sustainability, again, you know, is the sort of ideal state where no no resources consumed that, uh, you know, that is no no, no longer uh, available. It's sort of you know, everything we consume, like it's, it's all sustainable. So we could keep going in theory forever. It doesn't deplete the natural resources and, and, and uh, damages the environment in a way that's ir- irreversible, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. It's kind of a, a nice ideal. And most companies try to just do less harm rather than uh, really go to, uh, oh, we are sustainable, right? But yeah. um, it's let's say it's what sustainable procurement is, what procurement what the purchasing people can do to get closer to sustainability, right? In their business and, mm-hmm. and their suppliers' businesses, obviously. So what they say in this standard is they say it provides guidance to organization ta, 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 on integrating sustainability within procurement. Okay. So basically what is sustainable procurement? The way they uh, define it is procurement that has the most positive environmental, social, an economic impact possible over the entire life cycle, the, the entire life cycle of the product, obviously, mm-hmm. through like extraction, uh, you know, initial processing, et cetera, et cetera, manufacturing, shipments, transportation, blah, 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 you know, use, uh, disposal, maybe recycling and so on. It's all along the, the supply chain, basically. All right. Mm-hmm. So th- this is an interesting topic. For a company that basically buys and resells products like an importer or or retailer, you know, there's what they call scope one, scope two, and scope three, uh, one, two, and three of emissions and, 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 and things like that, right? Uh, carbon emissions. So scope one is the activities you yourself do. So, for example, you, you know, you... You, I don't know. You have your own uh, office, and you you heat it up in the in in the winter, and you cool it down in the summer, maybe if it's very hot, and so mm-hmm. on. And then scope two is the the things that could be in scope one but are outsourced. Like for example, maybe you you don't own the the truck, but you rent the truck, right? So in that case, it's scope two, but it could, it's it's pretty much the same as scope one, right? It's just outsourced. Okay, but mm-hmm. then. 
scope three is everything you know in the supply chain of what you buy <laughs> so for retailers and and a lot of importers yeah that's like 90 percent 85 to 90 percent of um of the total emissions of the whole company right sure if you if you include scope three um because yeah i mean imagine right any uh B and Q, Home Depot, Walmart, Tesco, and so on. All of the emissions, the carbon emissions of all the products through their shelves is just it just boggles the mind, right? It's way way more than mm. just running the stores. <laughs> um, oh, how so, many suppliers have they got? Right, right, and and they don't even know. I, I tell you, they don't even know <laughs> because yeah, the suppliers and the sub suppliers and sub 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 suppliers and so on. So. Um, the idea is how do they actually in- influence these uh, these ninety percent, <laughs> right? <clears throat> and this ISO standard provides some um, general guidance. Okay, if you really want to go closer to sustainability, you know, what are the kind of things that you you can look at, right? And so basically, what it goes through is how to say the the way to actually manage procurement itself <laughs> that's uh that's an interesting one but if you are not even running your procurement uh function properly you're going to keep jerking your supply chain around like crazy just like we mentioned before right like uh mm. oh sorry the you know you need to do this design change sorry you know you know but we cannot allow you to have more uh <laughs> more time oh for for production ouch right that that that's just not not, not going to work right so first the first thing is you get to actually know what you're doing okay and you have to think of yeah how to prevent the the these kinds of of big problems right that are typical that are expected let's say you you need to okay this is a typical iso thing like you need to to think of the different stakeholders right so who has oh. Uh, how to say who who is concerned who who has a stake you know in um in uh, who might have something to say right about the the procurement function it's not just the suppliers right it's also um it's also the government and you know because it, it touches on compliance uh, respect the uh, you know complying with the law and so on and so forth okay um is yeah, is the suppliers, but it's also like the manufacturers it might not be the same as your suppliers, right? It might be the actually the employees of the suppliers of the manufacturers, right? At the factory level, the employees. Well, what uh, you know, some brands have actually done some work to engage directly the workforce of the factories, you know, telling the management, hey, here's here's a training program, here's a training platform, uh, here's some consultants that are going to come. And you know, provide a bit of training to your to to your people, and then we're going to do this kind of activities to engage them and so on, right? So it's not necessarily just like the salespeople of the supplier. You need to think of what are the needs actually of all the stakeholders, right? And mm. it's it's much wider than than that. Um, yeah, risk management. I mentioned it, right? What are the the typical risks? Uh, such as yeah, jerking your supplier around just by saying, "Oh, sorry, we need to change the design," or "Oh, sorry, 
whatever. Oh, we we actually increase the the order quantity, you know, but you need to ship it at the same time. Can you do it? And then you know, of course, they can say no. But wait a minute, the business people are going to say, oh, this is great. Let's take it. And then let's figure out later how to do it, right? Without oh. any planning, anything like that. This is just terrible, really terrible. Um, and then there's all kinds of other things, right? Um, how do you do this? How do you, right? Um, how do you engage the employees? Yeah, how do you how do you make sure they, they actually pay the, 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 the correct amount and, and the factory respects the, 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 the lows and so on? What can you do basically as a, as a as a as a purchasing organization, right? Do you need to to work with your suppliers, especially the vulnerable, you know, stakeholders again, such as the employees, maybe uh, you know, women working in some uh, some 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 factories in, for example, in South Asia, uh, and 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 other places. Sometimes might be in some kind of form of forced labor where they don't really dare to say certain things and say no and so on right uh, but they might no. not be treated very nicely right how what can you do actually there are ways to 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 do that you can you know get some consultants provide them some training as i was mentioning you can you can give them a, a mechanism to to actually um have a way to complain about it to a third party and so on you can actually review the HR practices of the factory to see, you know, what are they doing? Oh, they pay by the piece already. That's a problem. They they do this, they do that. You know, they oh they have penalties. Oh, they grab the the ID card of the of the new workers and they keep it for two months. Oh, they uh, whatever they 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 charge for the um, uh, for the pers- uh, for the protective equipment or they charge for the uniform or <laughs> okay what what what's that right? So some of these things are really ridiculous, and um, just by looking at the way the factories work, you know what? If you're a big buyer, you can, you have some. You may not have direct control, but you have a lot of influence. Okay, that's really something that you can do, and so mm-hmm. it's not just about social compliance, like you know, making sure the people are, are treated the right way. It's also as I mentioned, you know, all throughout the supply chain, all throughout the, the product life cycle, you know, what can we do? Can we look at, at at the full supply chain and try to minimize the impact on the environment? Well, you know, can we engage? Maybe, maybe as the buyer, you're buying some products that are already designed by the supplier, right? There's a lot of that. So you are not the design authority. You cannot do, you know, eco-design Kind of uh, you know follow eco design principles as we mentioned uh, two or three episodes ago, but you can put pressure on the supplier. You know you can you can force them for some of the items that you purchase in large quantity, for example, to uh, to do a life cycle assessment. And based on the life cycle assessments, you might say, okay, there's a lot of energy consumed here, a lot of water consumed here, or whatever, a lot of release to to to. Of, of gases to the air here, whatever. What can you do to reduce these numbers, right? Do you need some help from us? Do you, you know, but you need to do something. You know, you you start to apply some pressure, and that's how you actually end up having quite an impact if you're a relatively large buyer, right? Now, if if you're not a big buyer, you know, all of this kind of sounds like a nice wish list that is not very useful. Uh, I get that. If you're not a very big buyer, basically, 
can you do something? I would say it depends on the, the relative importance you have on your suppliers, right? Mm. If you really have no say over anything that they do, if you don't even have like access to to um, to the manufacturer or things like that, there's not that much you can do, right? So try to think of responsible purchasing. What we talked about at the beginning of this episode, you know, uh, in in terms of sourcing the right suppliers, do a little bit of due diligence, make sure they kind of, they are aware of the requirements, make sure they, they can talk about it, make sure they have something to, to show for it, okay? You'll be already ahead. Uh, you know, it's, it's already much better than sourcing just based on price, right? Mm. If, if you do design in your organization, then put a bit of, how to say, give some objectives to the designers so they they follow eco-design principles. If it's at the supplier level, then try to estimate, even without the life cycle assessments, right? The, the certain things we know are, are better than others, Certain materials are much better for the environment than others. Uh, some certain materials cannot be um, recycled at all, or some materials, like I was mentioning, steel versus aluminum, uh, consume much more electricity to make. All right. Also, the design of the product sometimes is pretty obvious, right? Well, when this, you know, do we have a reliability test uh, report on this on this component or on this product? Uh, yes. Okay. So. Was was the typical uh, failure, right? If you know your product category, if you are if you work in one or two product categories, you probably have a pretty good idea about that anyway. Then you can think, okay, when that component fails, can the product be disassembled? What can we do, right? Is it possible to have spare parts? Uh, does the the full product have have to be um, thrown away? These are things that you you questions you can ask yourself you don't need to do you know a life cycle assessment and and all kinds of advanced things you just need to educate yourself a little bit and again if you work in one or two product categories it's usually you you usually have a good idea right talk to people in the industry uh, read about it read about the common complaints about this kind of product uh, and so on and so forth and um, it should not be very difficult for you to already make some progress, right? And from a sustainability point of view, I suppose the number one benefit is that we are better global citizens as a business. We we are better for the for the world for the earth. I suppose number two is that being more sustainable is a USP that can help with you know your brand as it as and we mentioned patagonia at the start patagonia you know they're expensive but people still buy it in really they're queuing up for it and why because they know that they're sustainable they do good it's good quality and so the sustainability really comes into brand building maybe more and more these days i I suppose and for number three from a business point of view you might have to do it Right. Because when we look at this in the context of some of the legislation that's coming in in the EU, especially. And if you're not in the EU, I know that uh, perhaps it doesn't apply to you immediately. But as you said before on the podcast and in written content that we've made, you know, you know, this sort of legislation, this is a trend that's coming globally now. So, you know, looking at 
looking at the um, EU eco design for sustainable products regulation, mm-hmm. you've mentioned that already, that is insisting that you have a more sustainable supply chain and more sustainable products. It's not, oh, you should do it. You have to do it. So responsible and sustainable purchasing, I would say for EU importers, is probably something that you need to be getting on right now. And also there's the corporate sustainability reporting directive as well in the EU, um, which, again, you've got to report on your supply chains, environmental, social and government's performance. Well, if you are not purchasing sustainably you're immediately putting roadblocks ahead of that 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 type of reporting that type of performance you're you're shooting yourself in the foot yeah yeah absolutely so the yeah the two regulations you mentioned so eco design for sustainable regulation sustainable product regulation is coming into play uh, roughly 2024 more like 2025 uh, mm-hmm. with horizontal requirements and then sector by sector there will be more and more uh, requirements added over time and that's yeah. for all products except food and feed sold in the eu okay I'm not sure i don't remember if the uk is going to go for it maybe not yeah uh, but at least, <laughs> i don't know yeah right at least the eu but then the corporate um, reporting directive the sustainable whatever uh, reporting directive that's at, um, 2024 is only for big companies big companies based in the eu okay so smaller companies that do not sell to these big companies are not really um, um don't really have to do anything now but this is something we see that uh, some of the some banks in the eu are starting to ask for uh, information because it's a way to gauge the risks, you know, are these people actually putting in place the right system so that they, they're not exposed to, to endure risks. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see the impact of, of all these questions from the banks, right? Uh, and, and, and then we can expect, yes, countries like Australia, Canada, maybe the UK in a certain way, who knows? Um, you know, the are going to follow in one way or another. And maybe states, U.S. states like California or, you know, New York State and so on might also yeah. follow in a certain way, right? So it's, um, it's, it's, it's the trend. It's the trend, right? Um, yeah. As you say, even if you don't use it to build your brand and be careful about greenwashing because this also... Uh, yeah. There's going to be more regulations around that because it's been really abused. Uh, <clears throat> if you, even if you don't don't you do it to to build your brand, you might have to do it to um, to keep access to certain markets. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's as simple as that. Yeah, but and and often also one more one more reason is in in a lot of cases you actually save costs. The link would be like this. If you actually have products that uh, consume less material, consume less uh, energy and so on and so forth, and are less uh, exposed to non-compliance issues, right? Because some of the manufacturing processes might not actually be at the, the legal standards. The costs are going to be lower, okay? But with quality is a bit of a different uh, relationship. 
it it it's more like make more uh, reliable, more durable, better quality products. There's going to be less, you know, and 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 let's say higher quality, more consistent, more predictable manufacturing processes. It's going to be less mm-hmm. scrap, less uh, rework, and so on. There's going to be less uh, products that fail in the marketplace and are thrown away um, yeah. prematurely. And that actually makes the whole thing more sustainable. But guess what? It also leads to lower costs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, uh, the, you know, the, the, the cost of poor reliability and cost of poor quality um, can be pretty high, right? Mm. So if you translate it into, into dollars, uh, it's kind of scary, <laughs> right? But it's also it also yeah, has a so, cost on uh, on the environment for sure. Yeah. So even if cost of the environment is not front of mind, cost of your bottom line as a business, surely that's got to be. So you're given a lot of good reasons here to consider looking further into responsible and sustainable purchasing. And that's been a really good overview, Renault. So thanks. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Great. We are back next week as usual. Tune in then and don't forget to give us five stars. We will love that. Thanks again for listening to this podcast brought to you by the Sophie's Group. We're on a mission to provide you with everything you need to manufacture effectively in Asia, including inspections, auditing, new product development support, contract manufacturing, 3PL warehousing and fulfillment, and much, much more across Asia's key manufacturing areas. Visit us at sofeast.com, that's S-O-F-E-A-S-T dot com, to learn more and get help. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do rate, review and share, because it will really help others discover us too.